you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Andrew. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday (laughs) to me. Happy birthday, Mr. (laughs) Me. Just you went for the whole thing, and didn't you? The whole thing right there. <laughs> Is Guy, it your birthday, Andrew? It's my birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, buddy. <laughs> hey, thanks. Yeah. yeah, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, it's my birthday. Happy birthday, uh-huh. Andrew. Hey, Andrew, what'd you think of Rogue One this weekend? <laughs> oh man, dude, dude, it was a Star War. There was a Death Star. There was uh, a Death Vader. Yeah. There was a Death Robot. There's there was a Def all sorts Jam, of the, even. <laughs> there was a Def Jam. Mm-hmm, you got it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, but it's my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, buddy. <laughs> so, guys, and, and what do you have for me? Give you give me, give me, gift. give me. Oh, it's a gift. Ooh, where where can we get what? a gift? Who who might uh, we ask about? You know, like, you'd for probably a gift. go to somebody who has a lot. Perhaps somebody I, who has all the gifts. A lot's not going to be gifts. enough, Eric. Yeah, all, how about all? How about all the gifts? I want all the gifts. Give me all the gifts. Well, we. you're in luck. Because I hear, I hear that there is... A girl, mm-hmm. not 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 even a girl. There is the girl. Ooh, the girl. Okay, with all the gifts. That's right. Mr. Carey's novel, number one bestseller, "The Girl with All the Gifts." That's what our gift is for you this day on your birthday, Andrew. So, Neal. why did this guy give all the gifts to this girl when no, it's no, my she birthday? Just, she just has the gifts. The gift is that you get to write about this girl with all the gifts, because that's how the show works. Ugh, I guess. <laughs> this is a fantastic opportunity. It's a great Andrew, opportunity. Because, you, know, you know why? Because this book is amazing. Like I said, written by M.R. Carey, which is the, uh, I guess, the, the novel-y pseudonym for Mike Carey, who's a, who's an, a well-known comic uh, writer. And I'm gonna let Marcus tell you about that because I haven't written, written like or read any of his crap. So it's, it's not even <laughs> crap. It's good. It's good stuff. I Mike hope it's Carey, good. Mike Carey, I've uh, read him for years. He came to my attention as writing the series Lucifer, which is a spinoff of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. Andrew, oh, I believe oh. you read The Sandman. I've read most of it. Yeah. So this is the incarnation of the Sandman introduced in the fourth volume, or of uh, Lucifer introduced in the fourth volume, Seasons of Mist. And Mike Carey went and ran 75 issues on Lucifer. Uh, also, for the less literate listeners, uh, the <laughs> source of the Fox TV show Lucifer. It's a adaptation oh, yeah. of that concept. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> Mike Carey also wrote a run on John Constantine's Hellblazer. 
Ooh, cool. And came up with the creator owned The Unwritten, which was a fantastic series about fables and storytelling following a kind of Harry Potter-esque character in the real world named Tommy Tyler. Taylor. So That was Unwritten, you said, that last one? Yeah, very good okay. stuff. But we're talking about his, you know, ridiculously successful novel writing career and starting with The Girl with All the Gifts. So what is that about, Eric? You know what this is? This is a like a horror thriller. Okay. Um with some serious seriously good sci-fi elements. Uh this is a well here, I'm not even going to I'm not even going to spoil it right off the back, but I am going to give our audience a spoiler warning. Warning that if you want to read this book and you do, it the way it is built is just beautiful like i went into this reading this blind marcus recommended it to me i picked it up uh, like a couple of months ago uh had didn't read any sort of synopses had no spoilers whatsoever and it unfolds like a beautiful lotus flower oh it just just layers of of revelations because it is uh it is uh you know that that's your spoiler warning it is this beautiful story about this little girl little girl named melanie and now Melanie is the uh, the titular girl with all the gifts. Uh, she is a... How old do you think she is, She's about 10. Marcus? About 10? Yeah. Well, she is a little 10-year-old girl uh, with a genius-level IQ. Super genius. She's like movie su- genius level. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, perfect genius. Okay. Uh, she just loves to learn. Uh, she loves her teacher. and But she lives in this strange world... Uh, where she is in an army base. Uh, at the beginning of this book, we don't know what's going on. We just know that she's in an army base. She lives in a room by herself with a locked mm-hmm. door. She can't leave this room. Except every morning, army dudes come into her room, tie her to a wheelchair, strap her arms and her legs in, strap her head to the headrest of the wheelchair, and they wheel her on out into a classroom where there are about 20 other children, similar age, all strapped into their own wheelchairs. Oh. And they, uh, they get taught lessons, just like regular school, except they're all strapped to chairs for some reason. Seem like normal kids. Kind of standard. Normal, yeah. normal, if not, you know, very smart, in the case of Melanie, kids. Okay. And, uh... And uh, they have many teachers. Every day it's a different teacher. You know, they kind of go in rotations. You know, some of the teachers are good, some of them are bad. But there is one teacher, above all others, that Melanie is absolutely in love with. Favorite teacher, best person in the world. Oh, yeah. And that's Miss Justino. She is the best. Miss Justino. Yep. She's the best, and uh, and there's this lovely little relationship that forms uh, between between Miss Justino and Melanie. Like I said, Melanie is absolutely in love with her. Uh, but there are other characters here at this, like, base, whatever this is. Uh, there is a sergeant who basically, who seems to kind of not run the show, but seems to have a lot of authority in this place, and that is Sergeant Parks, mm-hmm. Sergeant Ed Parks. And Sergeant he's Parks. just an asshole. That's all we know in the beginning, because because Sergeant Parks is mean to Miss Justino, and Melanie doesn't like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then 
Marcus, tell me about something that uh, Sergeant Parks does uh, while in this classroom. I, I just want to get some flavor. What kind of an asshole is he? Maybe, maybe, maybe give us a little uh, revelation about what's going on. Why is this? Uh, what's happening at this base? So, Miss Justineau, one of the reasons that we love her so much is that this series, this book—it's uh, not a series—but this book is set very firmly in Melanie's point of view, so that everything okay. is written like you're a ten-year-old girl. It's still third person, but. We only know things that Melanie knows. She doesn't know that this is a military base. She doesn't have the words for that. She doesn't know what her situation is. All she knows is that Miss Justineau tells her stories and she loves her. That's all she knows. And Mr. Parks comes in and insults Miss Justineau when Justineau accidentally touches Melody's hair, right? Mm -hmm. Well, accidentally. It was a a gesture of affection. And there's a no-touching rule. Much like... Prison in Arrested Development. No touching. No touching. No, no touching. And so what happens is uh, this reaction causes a sort of impulse in Melanie. And suddenly her mouth starts working like she's trying to, to take a bite of something. And she's very scared about this whole process. And suddenly okay. she just feels this, this sort of feeling in her throat that she needs to eat. She needs to consume and uh, Parks reminds Justinu that this is just know that this is a not, these aren't people these aren't normal children and that you can't get attached to them that's why they all have numbers instead of names uh, so that's the first kind of revelation we get about this school that there's something wrong and Melanie's scared that she did something she didn't know about and that she may have mm-hmm. possibly heard it miss Justinu yeah. Yeah, so uh, so already mysteries happening here. What is Melanie? And throughout this whole book, she just is coming more and more to the conclusion that she is not a normal little girl. Yeah. She is not even human. <gasps> what? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Andrew, you've played the game The Last of Us, right? Oh, you bet I have, and I loved it. Lovely game. Yeah, what, what's 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 happening there? What what is the you know the third the the twenty second pitch for that? Yeah, so The Last of Us is in a post apocalyptic world, and you play as an older grizzled gentleman who is escorting a girl who is um, immune from the virus that creates like the zombie like creatures in this room or in this game or in the the world of the game. But it's not actually a zo- virus, isn't it, Andrew? It's something a little bit different than a virus. Yeah, it's a it's a fungus that like spreads. It's ah. it's, it's weird. Ah. Anyway, why do you bring this up? I bring it up because that fungus, that that po- that apocalypse that you're talking about from that game, very very similar to this. Oh, what we okay. find out is that there are uh, there are people in this world, not people. They're hungries, is what they're hungries. called. Hungries. Which is basically just zombies without calling them zombies. They used to be people, but they got infected by a fungus and basically became bloodthirsty uh, killing machines. The Ophiocordyceps fungus, which is a real thing that possesses ants and is crazy and watch oh, any nature documentary thing. on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's that thing. So in this world, that specific fungus is what has infected humanity now. Right. Like it has adapted to be able to take over human hosts. 
Yeah, I actually, there's a Radio Lab did a great episode on that fungus. Mm-hmm. So if you want to listen to good radio storytelling, listen to that. I can't remember what the name of the episode was, so I'm unhelpful in that In that, in that Venn diagram uh, between people who want to listen to good radio storytelling and champ fiction, how much crossover <laughs> do you think there is? <laughs> More than you think. Uh, good. It's like they yeah, took a so- wrong turn back in Albuquerque. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, Andrew, this there's this whole story that unfolds in this army base, um, and it all kind of comes to a head when uh, the person who actually runs this facility, the person in charge, high command, uh, a Dr. Caldwell, uh, she decides uh, that she needs to take uh, Melanie out of the school brings her outside for the first time in her life, mind you. She has no memory of what outdoors is, what fresh air is, what sunshine is. She doesn't see that in her world. Brings her out of this facility and into a laboratory, straps her to a table, shaves her head, and proceeds to try to, uh, remove her brain. Because here's the thing. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we know that these children, there's some secret to this whole zombie-hungry epidemic thing in them. Like, they are... There's something special about these kids. And if Dr. Caldwell can just just, you know, take out their brains and poke around a little bit, she might be able to figure out what makes these kids so special and possibly how to cure this awful fungal infection that is destroying humanity. Yeah, there's not just a cream for it. It's something, nope. something more no, serious. No, yep, no, something, no. something more serious. Um, but then, while all this is happening, while, while Melanie is about to get her brain taken out, there is a big, big thing. There's an event that happens. What's happening at the base at this very moment, Marcus? All right, well, we've told you there are hungries. Right. Yep. The hungry, hungry hippos. Yep. And there are also scavengers that are called junkers. These are just free folk who haven't holed up with the rest of humanity in England in a town they're, called they're Beacon. F- so okay, so they live outside the walls of the base. Of the base, yeah. So these are just people who scavenge and you know do all the terrible Vagrants. cannibal rapey things that you see in these dark stories. Yeah, you know, they're just like road warriors, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, road warriors. I'm writing that down. So they have corralled a group of hungries to knock down the walls of the base and utter chaos as both hungries and junkers come streaming in and start killing and biting and trying to take over the base. And there's a mm-hmm. huge escape. And in the end of it, we get out. But just barely, uh, Miss Justineau is able to save Melanie from Dr. Caldwell, but also takes Caldwell with her. Sergeant Parks leads them on a jeep, and they have a young private with them as well, Private Kieran Gallagher. And that is all that is left of this base. They get out of Dodge, but just barely, in a sort of Humvee that is not going to function for long. And have to deal with the fact that they are on their own. They lost communication with the safe haven of Beacon months ago. And have been keeping that quiet. 
and now everyone who had their own little power is in a different position, right? So you have Sergeant Parks, who was in charge of the military. You have Dr. Caldwell, who was in charge of the science. You have Miss Justineau, who was the educator chief. And then you have Melanie, who was the smartest of the hungries. And then, you know, Parks, or not Parks, uh, Gallagher, who's just a young private. So all mm-hmm. these people don't have a chain of command. They only have the common goal of survival. And Miss Justineau refuses to give up on Melanie. Because, as we know, Melanie is some kind of super genius hungry, not a young girl. And, of course... Is, is Melanie still, like, strapped to something when they escape? She's or not. She, no. Oh, oh, no, no. They, uh, she, gets, uh, she gets cut loose from the, uh, from the table that she was on in the operating room. And uh, oh, she, yeah. <laughs> uh, she kind of goes a little nuts. Lives up to the name. Because... Lives up to the name Hungry. Gets a taste of human flesh, let's just say. This 10-year-old girl. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Uh, Human beings, they have a scent. Mm -hmm. And Hungries can pick up on that scent. Okay. Gotcha. And and, uh, in the base, there's there's something that uh, all the humans wear... That kind of keeps the the little hungry kids from going crazy. Well, we can talk about that later. It's not that important. But out in the real world, ain't none of that. So danger. Yeah. So all of these humans are are traveling with this little hungry girl, and in constant fear that she's going to like eat them. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So they're 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 traveling with a monster, and they are in just to give you a little bit of setting. This is like post apocalyptic England. Okay. They are, I believe they're north of London uh, at where this base was, but they're heading to Beacon, which is a fortified something south of London. So basically they have to travel through the English countryside and their path will lead them straight through the heart of London to be able to get out the other side to get to uh, Beacon. But the thing is, the more populated the area, the more hungries there are. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, danger. Yeah, cities are not a good place to be when there's an infection. Nope. And Yeah, of any kind. So that's the kind of situation that we're, we're putting you in here, right? Melanie is uh, aware now that she's different, that she's a hungry. She has these impulses to eat the other people and has to fight them very strongly. She will do anything to protect Miss Justineau, and the scariest thing that she can imagine is hurting her, hurting Miss Justineau. That she would lose control. The humans mm-hmm. do have a small reserve of this beta blocker, but it's running thin, right? So they are running out of the ability to contain Melanie to keep her from wanting to eat them. Yeah, that beta blocker is the stuff they put on their skin to keep them from smelling human. It's basically just like a, it's just Purell, I imagine. <laughs> they just rub all, all over <laughs> themselves. Uh, and so they're trying to make it south. They have the fear of the hungries, they have the fear of Melanie. They have the fear of the junkers who are following them. And, of course, their vehicle breaks down almost immediately. They've got 70 miles to go. And Dr. Caldwell still wants to harvest Melanie's brain. Justin Mm -hmm. O wants to keep Melanie safe. Sergeant Parks Mm -hmm. just wants all these damn people to shut up and stay alive because they have a better Mm -hmm. chance together. And Gallagher is a twitchy, scared little guy who, you know, just is trying to keep it together on their way. So it is an extraordinarily tense group. This is not your your friendly fellowship heading down to Beacon. And they don't even know if Beacon exists anymore, which is another great fear. 
Yeah, who knows what they're going to find on the other side, if they can even get through London without getting torn apart by Hungries. You know what this also reminds me of in a way? Um, Just like with the setting and the kind of post-apocalyptic feel is uh, Children of Men. uh, The movie from back in 2007 uh, where... But that movie, I guess, wasn't really about an outbreak, but it uh, had a similar kind of escort mission. The road as well. You know, just... Yeah, yeah. This, uh, seeing the worst of humanity, you know, it's mm-hmm. a big challenge here. Yeah. And, uh, there's this sep- separate little mystery, uh, where you have to ask, what is Melanie? Cause we said she's like this little, this hungry girl, but most hungries are not like her. It's not just that when they smell humans, they go crazy. No, they're always zombified. Yeah. But oh, so they... What- Normal hungries don't talk like exactly. humans anymore. They yeah, just no, they're, they're, they're zombies. Just like they just stand still uh, and don't move until they hear something or see something. Mostly hear something. I think it's based on 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 hearing. Where if you make a noise, they'll all turn and kind of swarm towards the noise. Sure. But if there's nothing to eat and nothing going on, they'll just hang out for days and weeks and months without moving. Yeah. But Melanie can think and speak and process she's an amazingly capable little girl and yet she has this drive where if she smells humans she wants to eat them yes so there's is this huge mystery of what is this girl in this school like this base that they escaped from there were a ton of girls and boys like her where they were like children but also sort of zombies and sort of not. So there is that added layer of what's going on. Although she was the biggest genius in the bunch. You know, the oh, yeah, rest she of was them the star. ranged in human intelligence levels. So that's why Caldwell thinks that Melanie might be the epitome of whatever this is and could help find the cure. Yeah, because she is the most human of the, of the hungries. So maybe she holds the key. So I would like to talk a little bit about the tone of the writing before we go on is there anything else eric that you have on the storyline or the characters oh man no that's that's it i think we set that up pretty well this is a good setup i got all that so andrew the uh deal with when we do prose on the show i know sometimes we can jump from character to character what i would really like to see and what i would encourage you to do on this one i mean do do what your heart says but (laughs) <laughs> what one of the things that's just so fantastic about this is that it is so deeply entrenched in Melanie's POV. So this is the world as told by a girl who grew up in a military base, not knowing that it was a military base, not seeing any kindness, having a number and a name that was picked from a list. And she's experiencing the world for the first time. And she has explored the world before only through history lessons and through stories. Okay, so Miss Justino, who is the keeper of the stories, is her favorite, and she loves her very deeply. And so Mm -hmm. that is the perspective I would love to see. You know, just the childish ways, even though she's a genius, the childish ways of describing horrific things. And her confusion about the way that people are acting. So, like, you might see a romantic tension between two of the characters, but Melanie doesn't understand that concept. It's just the behavior and uh, just to note, in the novel, we do jump around. Like, we are very, very close to Melanie's perspective 
in the beginning of this novel, and eventually we break out into, we have chapters where we're following Miss Justino, we have chapters where we're following Parks, we have chapters where we're following Caldwell. It does break out, but for the sake of sham fiction, the most interesting POV is definitely Melanie's. It Mm -hmm. is because it is the most shaped by this very specific experience that's very interesting and and sad and gruesome. Tragic, really. Tragic, really. And you feel for Mm -hmm. her. You know, she's a caring person. Melanie is good. Um, so that's that's what I've got there. Should we move on to the bonus points, Eric? Sure, we can do that. Um, so mine is going to be based on one of, uh, one of Melanie's character quirks. Uh, Melanie loves Greek mythology. Like, it is oh. one of... It's her favorite subject in school. Uh, at one point, right before the... Uh, she tries or before Caldwell tries to brain her. Uh, Miss Justino slips her a book, gives her a, the gift of a book about Greek mythology, and it is the most touching, amazing thing she could ever imagine. So she loves this, and just like that book is a cherished possession that she loses like immediately because <laughs> of the because of all the the hungries breaking mm-hmm. in and they have to run. So that's very sad, but. Uh, my bonus point is I want you to include references to Greek mythology. Mm. Read a couple stories. You know, find something that can relate to whatever story you're telling and have Melanie reference that. Okay. Uh, Pandora is the namesake of this book. Pandora meaning the girl with all the gifts. So could be a there good place go. to start. She had a box and there was stuff in it. Nailed it. <laughs> You don't even have to do research. You got this. <laughs> uh, Nailing it. So my bonus points for you will be on the scientific side, right? So this uh, cordyceps thing is really interesting. You've heard some about that on your podcast. So I think mm-hmm. it would be really cool to see what that means for the zombies, what it means for the cure. And when you look at it scientifically, you know there are no monsters in this story. Everyone has a point of view. Right, so mm-hmm. Dr. Caldwell, who wants to rip the brain out of this girl that we relate to, isn't necessarily a monster, right? She's trying to save humanity. So I think play with the science, play with the different points of view, and that'll be my bonus points. Okay, so I don't totally understand what you were talking about there. <laughs> uh, so what do you want me to do? So the so the bring up the science, like like. Yeah, just, just kind of ground it in reality, right? So okay. these aren't magical zombies. These are zombies that are being driven by the desire for this fungus to you know, reproduce and spread. And mm-hmm. see how that factors into the world and see how it factors into the characters. So the characters who are at loggerheads with each other, they all think that they're doing the right thing. There aren't just yeah. pure evil villains here. So give us some understanding of that. Okay, that's what got I want to see. Just that grounding. grounded motivation. Yeah, yeah. And one last piece of flavor, just about this cordyceps thing. It does spread by bite, just like regular zombie viruses yep. everywhere. It does spread by bite, but there also seems to be another way that it could possibly reproduce, which is it just like the ants that we know about, the cordyceps infected ants, where like fungal growths erupt from their heads. You yep. know what I'm saying? Yep. That, that was same, in Last of Us a lot. Same too. thing yeah. sort of happens eventually, like maybe years down the line for some of these 
uh, hungries. So they get to places where they're finding really, really old hungries, and mm-hmm. we start to see some mysterious things happening with that. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. But, but like I said, really old. Like people who have been infected for like 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, okay. more more layers of mystery. It's all part of the mystery. It's all part of the mystery. So you think you got what you need, Andrew? Oh, yeah, definitely. I This is really cool. Um, it brings together, like we've all these other properties that I have, you know, read or seen. I see a lot of influences in here. And these are all things that I really like. So... I am looking forward to dipping a toe in a world like this. So it's excellent. Good I mean, pitch, guys. We should point out this isn't a derivative work. This is extraordinarily inventive and original. Um, just plays with some elements that we've seen in other pieces. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, so I'm gonna go off and uh, really quick, really quick. Oh, I just no. thought of one more thing I wanted to tell you. Sure. The hungries don't pay attention to Melanie. Oh yes important because it's like it's like she's one of them they just they just she's invisible to them okay that's good so that is fun but yeah go off and write and uh you know be safe out there i will i'll stick my beta blocker on so that they won't smell me there you go all right see you in a few Hey, podcast people. If you like subscribing to things, I highly suggest you subscribe to Sham Fiction. Even if you don't like subscribing, it's, it's a good habit to get into. Why? Because when you subscribe, you'll get a new episode of Sham Fiction delivered straight to your magical pocket device every single Sunday. If you're feeling generous, you could rate our show as well. Either way, subscribing on iTunes is the best way to tell us that you're listening to Sham Fiction, and that helps us out greatly. So thanks for listening to the show. I hope you're enjoying it. Let's get back to it. Marcus Man. Mr. Carlson. We got an Andrew Neal in the other room. Just tapping uh, away. Just tapping it, tap, tap, tap. Tapping away. Tapping it, tap. And uh, it's going to be a zombie story, but we're not going to call them zombies. It's a hungry story. It's a hungry story. Secret bonus points. He's going to use the word zombie. That's mine. That's your right secret off bonus the back. point. Secret Bam. bonus point. Use the word zombie. So, I mean, I don't know if he's going to do that because that goes directly against the prompt. Uh, I just want him to screw up. I want him to screw up so bad. I'm going to make it help his score if he screws up. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think he's going to be really excited about the cordyceps and the connection that we mentioned to The Last of Us. <laughs> and even though we oh. told him this isn't just cribbing off The Last of Us, I expect to see a character named after one of The Last of Us characters. Oh, so who do we got? I've never played this game. There's Really, there's Joel and Ellie. Joel and Ellie. So I so. think we'll hear the names Joel and or Ellie. What if, what if he does both? If he does both... Then double, double bonus points. Bonus. Because while he was writing this, uh, The Last of Us Part 2 was announced. So <gasps> this could be like a pre-sham. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice. Crossover, sham crossover. Over. Great. Yeah. Sham over? Was a that sham what that over. was? Yeah. It's like a comb over, but with like but a sham worse. wow. <laughs> with the sham, you just put, is that you put the sham wow on your head? Yeah, it's just, you're just, you're just, you know, you're blotting up the moisture. Because yeah. you, 
podcasting is hot work. Don't judge me, Marcus. I get it. I got my iced tea always. My lemonade. Uh, I wish I could use that into a segue to bring Andrew in, but I can't, so let's bring him in. All right. And also lemonade. Hey, fellows. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Yeah, you're pretty chipper. You good? For the hungry apocalypse. Is exactly. The cordyceps is on the rise. You know, luckily it hasn't yet uh, spawned into an airborne pathogen. Uh, Ooh, we'd be in trouble uh, then. Yeah. That'd be quite, quite troublesome. Gentlemen. We're sitting pretty with our lemonade and our iced tea. <laughs> and our shamwows firmly planted on our foreheads. That's how we do you it. You got a story for us? I do, though I'm no really questions, confused. Andrew. Okay. No questions. Okay, no questions. Just just get into it. But I have Always. so many. Didn't you hear what he just said? <laughs> Never say no. <laughs> Always say yes. Oh, yes and. Yes and. We're yes improv and. here. That's what this is. It's an improv show. I'm just very sensitive about my shamwell hair. <laughs> my sham over. Are you making fun of Marcus's hair? Is that what this was all about? No questions. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Tell us sorry, story. sorry. That was a question. You're right. You're right. Yes, I have returned from infected England with a tale to tell, and it was a scary journey. And now I will relay it to you. All right, friends. all English accents, or you get zero points. Go. Oh goodness. So that's not going to happen. No English <laughs> accents because I'm real bad at them. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in no, this week. No, no point continuing because. <laughs> There are no points to be earned. Because there's no points. There, there's no reason to do it. Is that the idea? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> this uh, show lives and dies on the score, Andrew. You know this. I'm going to keeping a tally my, all year. <laughs> I'm going to mm-hmm. start my slam dance version of this show. It's going to be called <laughs> Show Fiction. Slam Fiction. <laughs> slam Fiction. And it's going to have all my stories every week. Oh, guys. <laughs> I wanted I like to this. start, but you drug it out longer. I just uh, want to hear your show now. I, w- I want to subscribe to and slam like. Fiction. Give, give us yeah. a pitch. Slam fiction or slam dance. <laughs> yep, there you go. All right, guys, I'm done. Let's let's read this. <laughs> uh, I'm so scared. Do it. All right. This is Andrew Neal's Girl with All the Gifts. Woo-hoo. Melanie was hungry, and it scared her. She'd been trying to ignore it. But when she felt a particularly wretched twist and rumbling in her tummy, she told Miss Justino. Melanie saw her teacher's forehead wrinkle and her eyes moisten, which Melanie recognized as signs of fear, but then a hint of a smile appeared on the woman's lips, which lifted Melanie's spirits so slightly. Thank you for telling me, dear, Miss Justino said. You tell me if it gets any worse, okay? Melanie nodded and Miss Justino walked ahead to talk to Sergeant Parks, who led them down the, des- down the deserted lane. She watched as her teacher and the sergeant conversed in hush- hushed voices about ten steps ahead. Sergeant Parks glanced back at her quickly. Melanie didn't catch his expression, but she figured it'd be a dark one. He was a serious fellow. The two adults stopped walking, so Melanie did too. The sergeant gestured to, Miss- er, to Dr. Caldwell, to come forward. The doctor had been walking a few paces behind Melanie, and she studied Melanie with a frown as she passed. She always did that, and it always made Melanie feel cold. 
Melanie didn't follow the doctor. She knew she wasn't welcome in the adults' huddles. She watched them for a moment, unable to make out what they were saying, but entirely aware of what they were thinking by what she saw. Miss Justino's arms crossed tightly before her. The doctor's shoulders slumped and head down. The sergeant's hands gripped on his rifle, all stealing short glances in her direction. They remember Gallagher's screams too, she thought. She felt tears begin to well in her eyes. She wiped them away and decided to look around to distract herself from the adults and the naughty feeling in her belly. They were in North London now in a beautiful neighborhood. Tightly packed homes lined both lines of the, both sides of the street, each sharing walls with its neighbors to the left and right. Their exterior brick walls were a patchwork of natural shades of red and brown. She imagined their insides. A narrow stair and hallway near the entrance. A cozy parlor in the front. A kitchen near the back with a window overlooking the garden. Just like in the picture books Miss Justino used to read to her in her class. She wanted to go inside one to see if she was right about how it looked. Maybe we'll sleep in one tonight, she thought. But a smell pulled her attention away. It was light, but it brought back the rumble in her tummy and her mouth grew wet. Her mind suddenly prickled with excitement, but she pushed it away and allowed her sadness to fill its place. It felt worse, but she knew where the better feeling would lead. She turned to the adults still in their huddle. Your beta blocker is wearing off, she said. Their hushed conversation ceased, and all three turned to her. What's that now, dear? Miss Justino asked. The beta blocker is wearing off, Melanie repeated. I can smell you. Sergeant Parks broke off from the group to hunt along the railway nearby, while Dr. Caldwell, Miss Justino, and Melanie searched a few small shops around the neighborhood for food. The area was quiet, but they still moved cautiously from place to place. The shops they visited had been sacked long ago, but a fair amount of merchandise remained, both on the shelves and on the floor. Crisps, biscuits, sweets. (laughs) Melanie loved their colorful packaging. She held up a small red bag of a candy called Skittles to Dr. Caldwell. The woman shook her head. That's junk, she said. You need protein. Something with meat or nuts, like I said earlier. They didn't find anything like that. Before leaving the third shop, Melanie caught Miss Justino's sign as she looked into an icebox. Melanie approached her teacher and stopped by her side. Although the woman had reapplied the beta blocker, Melanie caught the slightest whiff of her scent. "'What's the matter?' Melanie asked, trying to take her attention off the scent. "'Oh, nothing,' Miss Justino replied." Melanie peered inside the icebox at a bunch of blue, cone-shaped packages on moldy shelves. (laughs) What are they? Melanie asked, turning to the woman. Miss Justino smiled. Cornetto, she said. Before Melanie could ask what that meant, she heard Dr. Caldwell's voice. Parks is back. And he wasn't alone. Outside the shop on the lane... Sergeant Parks introduced the man with him as Peg. He was an elderly man with a stocky build, shaggy gray hair, and a beard to match. He wore a brown leather jacket with patches on the arms, some simple color bars, others depicting stars, crowns, and the Union Jack. 
When Peg saw Melanie, he gasped. Well, I'll be, he said, smiling. Melanie was immediately disarmed by his smile. It took up his whole face, emphasized by his round, reddened cheeks and the deep wrinkles around his eyes. Melanie saw genuine happiness on that, in that smile. He reminded her of Father Christmas, whom she'd seen in books and on greeting cards Miss Justino had given her in the past. Sergeant Parks began to explain how he and Peg encountered each other, but the man's words fell away from Melanie's ears. She could only focus on the new scent in the air. She inhaled it deeply through her nostrils, and it seemed to fill her head with warm bubbles. Her eyelids fluttered, and when she was able to refocus, she looked back at Peg. The older man was beckoning to her, still smiling, inviting her closer. "'I have something for you, my dear.' he said, crouching down. His voice seemed muted, as if she heard it through a wall. All sound around her was dropping away, the warm bubbles filling her ears. This man is so cheery and welcoming, she thought. He wants me to have him, doesn't he? Why else would he be waving me over? Why else did he look at me the way he did? Step by step, Melanie approached the old man. The air between them thickened, and Melanie felt the skin moisten on her face and neck. She watched as Peg reached into his inside jacket pocket, which raised the hair on her arms. Is he going for a weapon? No, he can't be. That smile. Still, it won't hurt to pick up the pace. She pushed harder through the ever-thickening air, only a few more steps. Then Peg removed his hand from his pocket. Melanie halted. The man now held a clear plastic bag filled with jerky. Melanie glanced from the bag of meat to the older man's face. She could make out his eye color now. Blue. Just like Private Gallagher's, she thought. Hmm. She felt a cool breeze across her face and heard it rustle through the tree branches above. She shot a hand out and snatched the bag from Peg's grasp. The older man just laughed. Whoa, he said. We really are hungry now, aren't we? Peg led Melanie and her companions to a safe house of his, one of a handful, he said. It was only a few blocks from the shops where they had been, a red brick house on a corner near near the railway. On the way over, Melanie walked by Miss Justino's side as Peg led them. Dr. Caldwell and then Sergeant Parks brought up the rear, walking just out of earshot for Melanie. She looked back at them a few times. They had been whispering and looking ahead at Peg. She'd often seen them whispering like that, planning their next move. She hoped they didn't intend to hurt Peg. He truly seemed like a kind man. The inside of Peg's house was just as she imagined. The narrow hallway, the stairs, the parlor, the kitchen. But it was dark. The old man had boarded up all the windows. Only thin, horizontal beams of light cut between the boards across the parlor window, catching the dust particles flowing in the air. She pointed this out to Miss Justino. She found it beautiful. She walked a few laps around the first floor, taking in the details of each room. Floral wallpaper, an antique china cabinet, framed family photos. The family in the pictures was young, a mother a father, and a girl around her age. Perhaps this house didn't belong to Peg before the Hungries came, she thought. But then she saw him. 
He was in a photo, standing with one arm around the mother and the other holding the little girl, beaming his warm smile. His beard hadn't been so unruly back then. Melanie came to a stop on a couch with tufted cushions in the parlor. Now seated, Melanie felt soreness in her feet and legs. They'd been walking for so long. Peg entered, and she perked up, catching his scent. She was suddenly aware of her stomach again, which rumbled. The jerky hadn't been sitting well with her. No food like that ever did. It only abated the bubbles. Hmm. Peg rested the rifle he'd been carrying against the wall and collapsed into an armchair across from Melanie. Miss Justino stood nearby, leaning against the arch between the entryway and the parlor, watching both Melanie and Peg closely. The old bearded man let out a deep sigh and patted his thighs a few times. The sergeant and doctor are performing a quick, sw quick sweep of the block, he said. They'll be back in a minute. Melanie knew this meant that those two one wanted more time to conspire alone. From the look she saw on Miss Justino's face, she could tell her teacher was thinking the same. So that gives us more time to get to know each other, Peg said, gesturing between himself and Melanie. When the sergeant mentioned you, I think my heart skipped a beat. I hadn't seen a girl your age in years, or much of anyone for that matter. He chuckled. Melanie was focusing on the man's face and eyes and trying to ignore his scent. She thought of him and the girl in the photographs, and remembering that he was a person just like Miss Justino. Or Private Gallagher, she thought. Goosebumps formed on her arms. Tell me something about yourself, Peg said to her. Melanie looked to Miss Justino, who nodded. She turned back to Peg. What would you like to know? she asked. Anything, he said, spreading his arms widely. Anything you'd like to share. I... I like Greek mythology, Melanie <laughs> said with a shrug, naming the first thing that came to mind. Peg cocked his head and nodded, impressed. My, my, he said. Now that's fast. that sounds fascinating. I'll admit, I don't know much about it. Though I think my beard could give old Zeus for a run for his money. He <laughs> laughed, and Melanie smiled. Now look at that, Peg said as he pointed at Melanie. There's a smile and a lovely one at that. Right, Miss Justino? Absolutely right, Mr. Peg, Melanie's teacher replied, a soft smile of her own curling on her lips. Melanie felt her face grow hot in embarrassment. So tell me one of those myths, Peg said. I'd love to hear one. Melanie thought for a moment. Do you know the story of how Athena was born? She asked. Not in the slightest, the old man <laughs> replied. Enlighten me. Okay, Melanie said, excited to have an interested listener. She took a moment to sort out the details in her head, and then began. So, Zeus liked this goddess named Matisse. She was the daughter of two titans, the gods whom Zeus defeated to rule Olympus. Sounds like she wouldn't like him very much, Peg said. No, she didn't much at first, Melanie said. But she became his first wife. What a charmer, Peg inserted, shaking his head. Melanie giggled a bit before continuing. So, Zeus learned of a prophecy. It said that Metis would bear two of his children, and that the second one would be much more powerful than Zeus. So powerful that the child would overthrow him. 
Uh-oh, trouble in paradise. <laughs> yeah, that worried Zeus. So he tricked Metis into turning herself into a fly, and he swallowed her. Wait a tick. Peg jumped in, leaning forward. She turned into a fly, and then he ate her? Melanie grinned and nodded. She liked how excited her story seemed to make the man. Miss Justino, a voice came from outside. <laughs> it was Dr. Caldwell. Miss Justino went to the window and peered through a thin gap between the two boards. Yes, she called back. Would you please come outside for a moment? Miss Justino looked back at Melanie and then to Peg. Go ahead, miss, he said. I'll look after her. Miss Justino turned to Melanie. Will you be all right? Melanie nodded, smiling at her teacher. She was so anxious to continue her story. Miss Justino nodded and exited through the front door. So this Metis could just turn into a fly? Peg asked. She could change into anything, really, Melanie replied. Then why a fly, of all things? Because Zeus tricked her into doing it. Huh, Peg said. God, though he was, that man was a silver-tongued devil. <laughs> Peg started laughing and slapped his knee. Melanie began to laugh, too, but more so at Peg than at what he said. She liked the way he bounced in his chair as he laughed. Just as he smiled with his whole face, Peg laughed with his whole body. But then her nose began to prickle. Melanie suddenly realized how strong the scent was in the room. It washed over her like a warm breeze, comforting her. Her mouth grew wet. Bubbles filled her head. She felt her neck grow weak, and her head rolled around, trying to right itself. She didn't feel dizzy, though, just relaxed, as if her body were floating in the thick, sweet-smelling air. She felt a hand on her knee. She looked at it, and then to the face of its owner. An old man. What was his name? He spoke, but the words couldn't penetrate her ears with the bubbles filling them. He was right there in front of her, looking at her with a wrinkled brow, touching her. She suddenly realized that he was all alone with her. He should know not to do that, right? Why would he be here alone? Why would he be touching me? Why else? The reason became suddenly clear. Melanie knew what the man wanted. He had her by the shoulders now. A bit of his voice came through. Stay with me, dearie, he said. Stay with me. What happened next in your story? What happened to the fly? Mel Melanie looked into the man's eyes. They were blue. They reminded her of someone else. A young man. She'd forgotten his name. She gouged her thumbs into them. The old man screamed. She pushed his head back until it hit the floor with a thud. The man groaned. She bit off his nose and chewed it a few times before swallowing. She felt it in her chest as it slid slowly down into her belly. The man screamed again, frantically wiping the blood out of his eyes to little effect. She pulled his hands aside and took a bite out of one of his plump red cheeks tearing the bottom eyelid out with it. She took the other cheek next. The man continued to scream when he wasn't choking on his own blood. She swallowed the che second cheek and bent back down, 
taking a deep bite out of the center of his throat. The man wheezed at first, and then gargled as the blood filled his open neck. Crimson bubbles formed and popped as his chest moved up and down and up and down. Then Melanie took a bite from the side of his neck, and her vision went red. She felt the man's chest relax. He was peaceful, he was peaceful now, and so was she. When Melanie opened the front door of the house, the lane was covered in the purple shadows of dusk. The sun was down over the rooftops across the street. She stood in the doorway and let the cool breeze blow over her moist skin for a few seconds. Sergeant Parks and Dr. Caldwell were standing at the end of the short walk where it met the pavement. The sergeant had his rifle aimed at her, the doctor her handgun. Then Miss Justino appeared, standing up from behind the short wall that separated the pavement from the small garden in front of the house. Her teacher's face was bruised, and her eyes wet with tears. Upon seeing Melanie, she stifled a gasp and started toward her. Dr. Caldwell grabbed her arm and she froze. Melanie, she said, are you okay? Melanie nodded. We'll get you washed up, my dear, Miss Justino said. I promise, soon. Melanie looked down at the red stains that covered her. I forgot their names, Melanie said softly. What's that, dear? Miss Justino asked. What were their names? Melanie asked. I forgot them. She watched blood drip from her hands onto the walk below. Tears followed. The end. Oh. Oh. Oh, I love creepy Andrew. Uh, is there any other? Oh. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh, there he is. There he is. I guess. It was sad. It was sad. And oh, gross. <laughs> yeah, good description of the gore. Thank I mean, you. have you have you eaten someone before, Andrew? Because I've heard in a writing <laughs> class you have to write what you know. Uh, no comment. Oh, you sly creepy devil! Well, he did write one thing that he knew, which explains Eric and I laughing incongruously at this yep. very sad, serious story. Yep. Uh, read a little reference to our favorite Cornetto trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, then to Simon Pegg. <laughs> Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. of course, that should have been the prediction. <sighs> I, yeah, I said course. that there was going to be a reference to The Last of Us. Oh, okay. Uh, That's a good While you were writing, good, good The guess. Last of Us Part 2 was announced. But yeah. instead, English zombie movie, Shaun of the Dead, was Boom. where you decided to go. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, credit. Boom. Though, uh, you know, related to that, um, sad he didn't use the word zombie. But it was good because he wasn't supposed to. Don't use the Z word. It was you my never say uh, the Z word. It was my secret bonus point. That I would use the word zombie? Yep. Uh-huh. He just wanted you to fail, baby. <laughs> I knew what this was. <laughs> I got it. You danced this dance before? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, no, fantastic job, Andrew. That was it was such a, a good pace. I got a kind of you know, it's a good a good pace, a good feel. Uh, there were sad moments. I liked how you used the mythology story. I was surprised at how much I wanted to keep hearing the story and was sad <laughs> that she was unable to tell me. Like, that, it's all very effective. Um, but I want to 
kick this off by just asking uh, how the writing process was. How did you come upon this idea of uh, what I assume is, is just the group feeding Melanie on purpose? Yeah, I mean, that's that, that was the intention, uh, whether or not that came across. Um, this uh, was this was fun. It took me a while to write it. It took several sittings I, because it kind of goes in parts. There are several little sequences in it. I kind of wrote one at a time across several days. I mean, minutes. Um, <laughs> and they save. the key thing that I locked on from your assignment was the perspective. So that was the key thing that I wanted to to play with here was Melanie's perspective and the way she reacted to her hunger and that part of her. But also you mentioned the way that she sees the world. So I wanted to hit that perspective and just that this is this girl's first time outside of this military base. So this kind of generic London street would seem almost magical storybook like to her. And then I wanted to uh, do that very, very violent bit at the end and try something a little bit different and play with that sequence from her unique perspective, you know, the perspective of the infected person rather than, you know, like a straight, you know, a normal person being Mm -hmm. attacked. Fantastic. Um, They're just... There are some fantastic little elements. Like, I like that you drop these hints about what happened to Gallagher. And it's, like, tragic and sad and very similar in some respects to, you know, what happens to Gallagher in the book. Oh, no. Um, though, I mean, this isn't really spoiling anything. Melanie doesn't eat Gallagher. <laughs> okay. Something okay. eats Gallagher. Sure. Um, he seems like the most disposable. Oh, Sharknado, oh, no! <laughs> it was a Sharknado. Um... The my question is was the you know just because I didn't quite pick it up and maybe you had the hints and I just missed it did was the Justin or I'm sorry not Justin no, the um, was the Gallagher death was that an accident or did they just feed her? Uh, I don't answer that and that it's not addressed. Okay, cool. Just curious because yeah, it made works. me sad. Yeah. Well, it's, sure, it's, sure. It's an interesting series of events because it makes you wonder why they decide to keep her around and why they decide to feed her that way again. If it was an accident with Gallagher. It's thought-provoking. You're making me think. Sure. Yeah, I don't no, like they, I, there's no details in here about what... I mean, other than that she <laughs> ate him. <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no other details about what the, the, the context around it. Well, you did a great job of just seizing upon one small moment. You know, this isn't a huge, drawn-out event. This is simply, this is the group of these three adults. You got, you got Parks, Justino, or now I just don't know how to pronounce the name, um, and, then, and then Caldwell, mm-hmm. all conspiring to find some poor sap to, uh, to, to I guess, sate her... Melanie's hunger so that she doesn't eat them maybe you know it, it doesn't really matter there's just this small moment where you have this plan it all comes together and man Peg is so nice and he's so friendly and he's got those blue eyes and he's so charming and then you eat him she yep. ate Santa Claus <laughs> she yes. did just in time for Christmas I think uh, that's the, whole, the real secret the adults just thought it would be really funny to have a kid eat Santa <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a joke they're filming it on their phones. Gotta yep. upload it to YouTube. Yeah. Zombtube. 
Zomtube. Yeah. yeah, so it was it was good. I, I enjoyed this story. Uh, the protein thing was interesting. I liked how you brought that up because we didn't talk about what Melanie eats. Um, no, that was yeah. essentially the idea is that she just needs to eat protein. Like that's in the book. Maggot bowls <laughs> at the school. Yeah. Oh, gross. Okay. Yeah, because they just it's just mechanical. You know, they just need need that feed. Okay. Yeah. No, you did not give me those details, but it was just something that seemed fitting. Yeah. And it worked. I like that there's the specific quality to human flesh as well, which makes perfect sense for the type of disease this is. For what the cordyceps does is like it's specifically trying to spread human to human. So, of course, she specifically wants to eat a human. Yeah, I I did a little bit of research into cordyceps. Um, Not that many of those details made it into the piece. It just kind of, again, flavored it, specifically those details. Cool. I like uh, some of your details about, like, the bubbles in her head. I like that repeated sort of metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it painted a, a really specific picture. It wasn't just repeated from something else. I hadn't heard the specific, like, warm bubbles in your head sort of description for that sort of thing. It's not just the shorthand, like, oh, fuzzy head or, like, you know, lightheaded or dizzy sort of feelings. It's something very specific that you created that I liked. A lot. So you've clearly not read, read Andrew's diary like I have. Oh. He's, he's talking about that all the time. Is his brain just filled with bubbles? That what just you're telling me? Warm, <laughs> bloody bubbles. <laughs> ah. uh, dis- describe them more fully for me, please. Oh, they're red. <laughs> there you go. Uh, this is why. This is why they pay you the big bucks, Andrew. Yeah, there you go. Oh, fantastic. So, um, Marcus, do you have a, uh, we, we can we can jump into scores? Yeah. 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 I think this, uh, you really hit the tone of the Melanie perspective pretty well. I like that you looped everything back to her frame of reference. So, the picture books, the Greek mythology. I think the story did take a little while to get going. Mm. Uh, so, there was a good amount of time where I wasn't sure where we were going with it. But I also wasn't feeling a threat. You know, so London is this place where we should be scared because we talked about that, the population centers Mm. being hotbeds of activity. Mm -hmm. But no one really seemed concerned um, throughout this story, right? Like, when Mm. we move to the secret bunker, there's not a stealth mission. There's not, you know, anything Mm -hmm. really scary there. Um, So once we got into that, I I was loving it. I loved the psychological play between the adults and Melanie and tricking her into eating and the tragedy there. So what am I going to give you as a score here? Uh, Let's see that you get you're going to get most of Gallagher's body. Ooh, Uh, tasty. I mean, gross. You get all the limbs, all four limbs. I like them limbs. I mean, good neck chunk. But Ooh, one, of the, yep. one of the eyes fell on the floor, and you, that's just gross, so you're not going to eat that. Nah, not yeah, eat that. If it went past the five-second rule. Gross. Yeah, so that's... It's got dust on it. That's yep. your score. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good score. Thanks, bro. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, you, you didn't quite get... Well, yeah, I mean, my boss points were a mix, because yeah. you, you did something with the court. Like, I liked how it was a separate idea in her head, these desires... But I want to see something a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more sciencey. I wouldn't give me the point, yeah, personally. I wouldn't. 
What was your I'm secret bonus point you now. again? You said uh, it se- earlier. My secret bonus point was a mention of Joel or Ellie from The That's Last right. of Us. Last of Us. Yes, yes. Well, oh, you man. got Exciting. my bonus points, which are the Greek mythology thing used very yeah, yeah. well. Um, and now and I'm like thinking of like why you chose that story. And I'm just like, well, it's like, okay, you have a, a character who is basically consuming uh somebody else you know eating another character which is cool you know Mm -hmm. i think he found an alphabetical list of greek myths and athena starts with an a and that was just (laughs) i'm gonna read through all these and find the best one oh gosh there are so many of them not wrong (laughs) (laughs) you know and despite the lack of danger in this story um, there are other things that I think you really hit that are very similar to the book. Um, specifically, it, that uh, Melanie is concerned for her traveling companions. You know, she tells them very matter-of-factly, your beta blocker is, is wearing off. Yeah. Which is just, it's spot on. Yeah, she doesn't want to get herself or mm-hmm. her friends in that sort of situation. Yeah. Um, and specifically, doesn't want to get Miss Justino in that sort of situation. Um, and so that was spot on. It tells me you really understood the character. I like seeing her thoughts. I like seeing the world through her perspective. I liked how, how that perspective broke down and how matter of fact she remained uh, despite, you know, consuming human flesh. Mm-hmm. As you do. Uh, and since you got my Greek mythology, I'm going to say uh, Marcus went uh, went points on the on the uh, the hungry side. I'm gonna go points <laughs> on the human side. Uh, I think you got three full canisters of beta blocker. Ooh, ooh. Plus, it's useful. About a quarter of a tube. Okay, a little less so than one. You a got left. you you got quite a, a long time to go before you really have to start worrying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. That's good. Thank you. Uh-huh. I'm gonna use that. It's gonna be useful. Good, and then you won't get it. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, so I got so I got some beta blocker, and then I got some food. Yeah, you chock full of guts. Yeah, <laughs> tasty. I mean, wait a second. <laughs> oh, guys, I want to read this now. So it's you a should. book. It's a book. It's, it's 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 with words. You get the words. You put them in the order, and they spell out the things that tell the story. Is how reading works. <laughs> Thank you for explaining that. Also, now that that's cleared up, I'm going to go do that thing. Movie is coming out soon, yeah. maybe, but we don't know when or where. Yeah, it's yeah. out in the UK. Hey. It's, it's playing there. Uh, but read the book, because that's the way to go. Don't even watch the trailer first. Just read the book. Good point. And then so I think... We've already thoroughly spoiled it. Sure, sure. But, you know, just still... <laughs> Books are good because they do the thing with the words. That's yeah. You've explained Who that. Who's the author again? Mike Carey, writing under the name M.R. Carey. Yes. Okay. Uh, and there's going to be a prequel. We just heard about that. Eric and I are very yeah. excited. Called The oh, Boy yeah. on the Bridge. Ooh. Boys yeah. and girls, alliteration, all these things. Yeah. Tying it together. That's <laughs> beautiful. That's how it's they beautiful, do it. beautiful, guys. I Let's love just this. keep this ending going. I love how you <laughs> describe how reading works. I think we're running we need out more. of beta blocker. We need more of that right <laughs> now. But actually, I'm just going to end the show. So thanks, everybody, for, uh, for, for you know, joining us this week on Sham Fiction. 
Maybe do it again next week. You can't beat the dredge. They're pure energy. Thank you for that. That was Andrew and Neal. And I'm Andrew Neal. And, and there's I Andrew Neal. Thank We're you. We're all Andrew Neal. And I'm Andrew Neal. We are all Andrew Neal. We are Groot. And we are. we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey, Sham listeners. This is Andrew. Have you seen my soul? Yeah, my soul. I I lost it a few years back. I was on a road trip up the West Coast, stopped at a motel, and the next thing I know, poof, it was gone. I think a cat took it. Does that sound weird? I remember there being cats, like many cats. So next week, the guys and I are packing up and taking the show on the road as we hunt down that soul-stealing feline. Yeah... Yeah, when you put it that way, it definitely sounds weird. Three grown men hunting a cat. Well, we'll certainly see how it goes. Next time on Sham Fiction.